Hi, I'm Camille. I'm a professor at the USC School of Drama. I am obsessed with getting to the bottom of why so many talented actors are out of work and what we can do to change that at Speak LA. And I'm Jen. I ran a secret underground agency in LA for over 20 years with a group of actor friends so that we could find our own work. Jen and I interview top industry professionals in the entertainment business with a mission of learning what they know that got them to where they are so that we can share that intel with you. We are your hosts. This episode of Speak LA, the podcast, Underground Actor Talk, is sponsored by Actors Connection. It is also sponsored by the Speak LA membership, which provides you with professional guidance and hands-on mentoring. If you're serious about your acting career, join the Speak LA membership today. To join or for more information about the membership, go to ispeakla.com. That's the letter I, speakla.com. Today's guest is the award-winning actor, writer, and comedian, Paul Sun Young Lee. Paul won the Canadian Screen Award for the best lead in a comedy for the celebrated Netflix show, Kim's Convenience, not once, not twice, but three times. His beloved character in Kim's Convenience, the role of Appa, was originated by Paul in the first stage production of this show which premiered to accolades at the Toronto Fringe Festival. Paul is an incredibly versatile actor who brings joy and love to every set and every stage he is on. Paul's television credits also include Star Wars, The Mandalorian, Robocop, and Train 48, to name a few. We are so grateful to have Paul with us today. How old were you when you officially decided to become a professional actor? Um, I think it was 18 or 19. 19. And in what city did you get your start? Toronto. What was your first day job? I was working at my dad's restaurant uh, when I was in grade two. So I guess you could call it a day job. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first job in the industry? Uh, I got um, uh, a large principal role in a movie of the week. Did you know anyone who was in the entertainment business at the very beginning of your career? Um, no, no. I knew no one. <laughs> <laughs> and if you had to sum up what it feels like to be an actor to you in one word, what, what would that word be? Um, ooh. That's a good one. Uh, privileged. Wow. Oh, oh, that's great. <laughs> that's a great answer. Yeah. I get it. Paul, welcome. It's so wonderful to have you. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Thanks for having <laughs> me. We're so excited. Yeah. Thank you for being here. I'm really, really looking forward to having you on the show. So it's a real treat for us to have you with us today. Um, yeah. And we wanted, we love to kind of start at the beginning to kind of hear about how you became an actor, what that was like. And so I guess the first question I'd love to ask you is, did you always know that you wanted to be an actor? 
No. <laughs> I, I always say I kind of fell into acting back, uh, back ass word. Um, <laughs> it was one of those things as a child of an immigrant family that, you know, moved away from their homeland to give me better opportunities. My sister and I, the, the idea of even struggling a little bit as a, as somebody in the performing arts was not, it, it was a non-starter. I mean, my mm. parents always said I could be four things in life, right? Like a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or a failure. So I could pick one of those. <laughs> wow. And, wow. <laughs> but that's, that's immigrant, that's immigrant yeah. families. I mean, they, they, they sacrifice so much to give my sister and I these opportunities to succeed so we wouldn't have to struggle. That's why they moved away from their homeland. Mm. And, you know, later on to see me sort of throw away everything that they'd given to me these opportunities and kind of squandered on, on, on a life of hardship because, you know, being an actor, we all know, isn't the easiest thing in the world. It's, mm -hmm. it's filled with um, a lot of hard work and sometimes you get those breaks, but you're always hustling. You always got to move. Um, and for my parents, they were like, well, no, that like, wasn't even entered their mind. And so for me, it was never even an option because I didn't even know I could be an actor and you put that hand in hand with the fact that, you know, representation during the time when I was growing up, I rarely saw people who looked like me or my family on the screen unless they were being ridiculed or they were the outsiders or the other or feared or whatnot. And so I was raised on television. My parents, they both worked. I was a latchkey kid. Uh, the TV was my best friend and babysitter. And I watched and consumed so much media when I was a kid because at least we had cable hardworking immigrant family, but we had cable and I saw a bunch of things I shouldn't have seen <laughs> when I was a kid, but it really fueled my, my passion for storytelling because I love consuming these stories. And it wasn't until later in life that I realized, Oh, you mean I'm allowed to tell some of these stories? Um, and, and that's when I really sort of became very passionate about it, but I didn't fall into it until university actually. And I applied for the university college drama program at, at U of T on a bit of a lark. To be honest, I kind of thought, well, that sounds like fun. How bad could it be? And uh, went in and, and got bit hard by the acting bug. And then when I realized this was something that I could possibly do for a living, wow. I mean, I would, I'd, I'd, at that point in my life, I'd been in, in a bit of a crossroads because I'd become very disillusioned academically um, with the sciences and maths. My parents were pushing me towards that, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I, when I figured out, oh my God, I can, I can, you mean I can, I can study the arts and I can make a living out of it. I jumped in on that hundred percent. Um, and, uh, it was hard <laughs> because, you know, when you're in school, everybody gets a chance to do stuff. You know, if you're doing a, a, a presentation, a, a class play or whatever, you're doing a, a final year end project, the, the casting is equitable because they'll often choose a show, uh, that has a large cast and everybody gets equal weight in terms of parts and, and separate casts. Sometimes you could double cast and one night one cast will perform, the other night another cast will perform. So you're always getting these meaty roles. And then, you know, when, when I graduated from, from university, it was suddenly it's like, no, you can go out for thug number one or <laughs> ER doctor number two or, you know, convenience store clerk. And, and you know, things like that where you're kind of like, oh, and meanwhile, all my friends are going off for like supporting roles, leading roles, you know, large principal stuff. And it's just like, what's going on? Right. And that's, you know, for me, it was a big sort of eye opener in terms of my ethnicity or my perceived ethnicity really standing in the way of the types of roles that I would be considered for. 
seriously considered for. So yeah, that was, <laughs> it was a hard lesson. I, I, things are getting so much better now. I think we still have a ways to go, but never in my lifetime did I ever think that I would have had an opportunity to be a lead actor on the television, television series uh, and whatnot. So I think that's, that's a huge step forward. Um, and, uh, but I think we still have a little ways to go. For sure. I, I think so many young actors feel the way you did or have come from families that can't imagine um, their kids, you know, doing something like an acting career, pursuing something like an acting career. What, what was it like when you did tell your parents this was your choice? Was your family supportive? And how is yeah. it today? <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. Um, yeah, no, my dad wasn't happy. And, uh, <laughs> my mom, God love her. She was always like, she was like, you're going to take acting. Oh, to teach acting. You're going to be a teacher. It's like, yeah, no, I want to act. Oh. And then the worry and concern uh, over the faces. But it was cool because I, I, I realized it was funny because I had this huge fight with my dad, third year university, uh, over what I was doing with my life. And, I, you know, it, it was the whole, you don't understand me. You don't know what I'm doing with my life. You don't know what acting is. And then it turned out my dad let this bomb drop, this truth bomb drop, that his older brother was an actor in Korea. Wow. A very well-respected actor. And I was like, really? I, I had no idea. Kunapa, that's, that was my name. Uh, that's what I called him. Kunapa means older dad, basically, bigger dad. So I had no idea he was an actor. He said, yeah, because he died poor, right? And he, wow. he, he was a good actor and people loved him and he was very generous with his money and he was always had these projects on the go and this was going to happen. And when that happened, this was going to be better and all this stuff. And then he, he died of a heart attack, wow. penniless. And my dad was terrified that was going to happen to me because my dad, he doted on his older brother, just mm -hmm. loved him to pieces. And it was one of those things where he just sort of, um, he was stewing over that. And, you know, immigrant dads, they're not the best at communicating their feelings a lot of times for some mm -hmm. reason. And um, I was really glad when he, he told me that because it suddenly gave me clarity, mm -hmm. knew where he was coming from. And it gave me a different avenue of, of discussion with him because I could explain to him, hey, you know what, like, this is North America. This is Canada. It's not, it's not Korea. Uh, the industries are different. There, there, there are systems in place here. Uh, I, I can get other jobs in the meantime as well to help support myself as I'm, you know, working as an actor. It's, it's, it's not an overnight thing. Uh, Hollywood, the great stories would have us believe you get discovered in a supermarket or a parking lot, and suddenly you're the star of a franchise or a TV series. That is, you know, point zero 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 one percent. But it's a heck of a story, mm -hmm. uh, and that's what everybody wants to believe. But really, the reality is, it's a craft. And we all have to get training and we all have to work our butts off and it's a business. And it's great if we can invest whatever parts of ourselves into these roles, but sometimes we've got to take roles just to pay the bills. And that's the reality of the industry that we're working in. But if you do it long enough and you develop your craft long enough and you get the right breaks and you're ready to capitalize on those breaks, this can turn into something with longevity. And I've been blessed and fortunate enough in my career that that kind of happened. Um, and I, I do realize how fortunate I have been to get those breaks, but I also want to, um, as well, not diminish the efforts and the work that I've put into it as well. Uh, but I also need to acknowledge the support I got from people like my wife and my family 
who who were there for me not only um you know spiritually or emotionally but also sometimes financially too so the, you know i had i had advantages um that a lot of a lot of people don't have so i'm very cognizant of that too like my journey is so different so um it, it's it's specific to me uh an individual and everybody's journey while the path might seem the same the the, the circumstances are often not so mm. do you think that having i mean like i i listened to you talking about having this conversation with your father and then even just now mentioning your wife and your family and do you think that having those touchstones and being grounded in those other aspects of your life helps with the instability of the career of an actor yeah absolutely absolutely uh and and in that case too i I know i had a huge advantage from a lot of my other peers who who didn't have those those pillars basically Mm -hmm. and that that's what they are they're pillars of support um and my wife has always been the pragmatic one in, in the relationship, you know, but she says, I'm here to keep your feet on the ground. So your head can be in the clouds. Oh, um, and I yeah, it's, that. it's like, honestly, she's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, she lets me dream, but she keeps me real. Um, she doesn't let my head get too big either, which I think is great. And I think as well, it's, it's just, it, it's a wonderful safety net and it's not even a safety net, but it's, it's good to know you have the unconditional support of your partner to follow your dreams. Mm-hmm. But as well, there's that, there's that understanding that, um, you know, not, not to, to overextend either. I'm not going to go after things at the expense of others. It's good to have that support, but I don't want to take advantage of that support too, by overextending. There's always that sort of like, you got to know, and that's a personal decision. I think for a lot of people, what are your limits? What, what are the bounds? Where are you, how far are you willing to go? And at what cost? I think. And that's always in the back of my head because I have family. I have two boys, my wife, we got a dog, a house. (laughs) And it's sort of like at certain points and your situation changes. When they were younger, the choices were a lot more limited. As they get older and everybody's more independent, the choices become a bit more expanded. So if I do have to go away for a couple of months to do work, it's not as onerous to my wife uh, or to the family that I'm away for that long, right? Because they're a little bit more self-sufficient, a lot more self-sufficient now, right? So it's a, it's always a fluid um, set of circumstances in all of our lives. And I think we need to, if we're cognizant of that as well, there are, you know, it, it will help avoid a lot of misunderstandings. Not to say that misunderstandings don't happen. They always do because we're human. But uh, I, I honestly don't believe I would not be here where I'm at without my wife. So, you know, it's, I love hearing what you're saying and it's, it's the way you're talking is so expansive. I mean, I think what's going to be so cool for people listening to this episode in particular is just the expansiveness of the life that you've created. And you're really talking about longevity, you know, how we maintain as an actor, how we maintain a creative life and also how we have our own, how we live our lives. Like that, you know, yeah. the role is not always our life, like our family are, you know, it's just, we can get a little lost in that. And um, mm-hmm. I, I'd love to ask you because um, in terms of APA on Kim's convenience, which is, you know, I, I, God, I love you in that role so much. Same here. Just, I mean, it's so phenomenal. But what's so cool about that show, speaking of longevity, is that it started on the stage. And mm-hmm. it's been, 
it's just morphed and developed into all these different, I mean, you played it in many different theaters and eventually it developed in a TV show. I would love to hear about what that process was like originating the character and then having it change for the different mediums that you were entering into it with. Like what, what was that like? Yeah. You know, looking back on it now, the perspective is incredible. And I look back and see how, um, incredibly blessed and fortunate we were because at the time it was just about creating work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, he started writing that play because he wasn't getting work for himself. He was not happy with the types of roles that were being offered to him. So he started off with that as a vehicle for himself yeah. to, to, um, you know, uh, to propel his career forward. And during the course of writing it, he sort of realized that he needed to hear it out loud as well. And so that's when I sort of became involved as an actor, an older Korean actor, um, to sort of read for the part. And when I read the first couple of scenes that he had sort of sent me, I had never read anything that was so authentic and respectful and loving to not only his parents, but my parents, like to that older Korean generation, that that character of Appa was just... It, it just sort of hit me like a ton of bricks because I'd never read anything so lovingly written mm. about somebody who could have been my dad. Um, and, and that was, you know, I watching, not to say that people hadn't written things about it, but, you know, the track record of Asian representation on television up until that point wasn't stellar. Uh, even on the stages, too, it was either, you know, overly earnest or just not really well crafted or it, it, there's just something about it that just kind of missed the mark, but something about Ince's play because it spoke from the heart and it was such respect for these characters and it was so authentically written, it really struck a chord. And I guess to me, that was my upper and I'd never ever seen my upper portrayed that way before with such respect. And I loved it. And I knew I, I needed to be involved with this. Um, and it was about really making a good show and staying true to the characters. And Ince was, it was great because he went off and he would write on and off for five years. He'd get, a, he'd get money together for a workshop. We'd get together as actors. We'd hammer it out. We'd give notes. We'd ask questions. He'd go off right again. We'd do a public presentation. And always, always, the audience response was fantastic. And it was this whole idea of there's something special about this play and in 2010, when he finally finished it and he shopped it around to all the theater companies and they all said no, wow. it was kind of a, wow, wow, that really sucks. But we knew just from the workshops that the response was going to be off the hook. So Ince went and he entered it into the Toronto Fringe Festival. And he, in fact, won the prize for best new play, original play. And so we got a free spot in the Fringe. And we went out and we rehearsed on our own dime wherever we could, whenever we could, outside, in church basements, um, four hours at a time, all donating our time. We lost our original director because she got a gig at Stratford, um, <clears throat> directing huge Shakespeare shows. So we were like, yeah, you go, you make that coin. Um, <clears throat> and it stepped up, and he became the third eye, and even though he was in the play. And so we all worked on it together. It was a labor of love. And when we premiered it at the Toronto Fringe Festival to a sold-out house, uh, and they leapt to their feet. We were like, okay, that's cool. That's, that's a, a validation. Um, but that was opening night, you know, opening nights are weird. You have friends, family, it's always going to be full. The next night was going to be the big tell all yeah. because it was Friday night, 10 o'clock. 
How many people are going to go watch indie theater, fringe theater, 10 o'clock on a Friday in a 200-seat theater? Without, okay, maybe if we get 50, 75, we know it's a good show. And we showed up an hour before, and there's a lineup around the corner. <gasps> wow. And we were like, what show is that for? Kim's Convenience. Uh. And it was insane. Like It was just insane. And then after that, that's we sold, sold out every single show, had to add shows, one patron's pick for the venue. And then after that, all the theater companies that said no came knocking saying, we would love to present this show on our main stages. Um, so that ride in itself was was just crazy insane because it was this whole, we would joke about it. We would blue sky things and go, yeah, can you imagine if, what if we sold out of the fringe? And what if the theater companies came back? And what if one of them picked up the show and put it on its main stage? And what if it went on a national tour? And what if... We, we got picked up as a TV show. What if, what if, what if, all these things, and they all happened. And it was an incredible ride. And as an actor, it's a dream come true to be able to originate a role and have the luxury. And it's a luxury to be able to play the same part over all those years through all those cities. I think we did 11 cities across Canada, and we ended up in New York uh, just off Broadway at the Signature Theater, but to be able to play it, and that was my first theater debut in the States and in New York of all places. Um, with all the different talented actors, all the, the experience and, and living with this character and watching and growing with the character too, that's something people don't get. And it, it's a little wonder that once the show started production, both Gene Yoon and I, who who played Oma and Appa, we were in the play, we had these fully developed characters that we just were able to, we didn't have to figure them out. We didn't get them from, you know, from writers and go, okay, well, that, what's this person? We didn't need a whole season to figure out who they were. We knew who they were. Mm. And it was just, the show just sort of wrapped itself around that. And we were the anchor and that's privilege. That's luxury. Um, and that was also a dream come true. Cause like I said before, I never thought I would be a lead actor on a television series. Um, and the irony was I spent so much of my life pushing away my, my parents' heritage because I wanted to fit in and I thought it was going to be so limiting and it was limiting to me at the time. The irony is my biggest successes have come off of embracing what my heritage is mm. and, and portraying uh, a loving sort of you know depiction of my parents uh, on the screens. And it's touched so many people and it, it's just for me been a huge life lesson in terms of that, in terms of trying not to deny where you're from or who you are. The circumstances might not be the best, but it's who you are. And I think the quicker you, you can embrace that and use it, I think the better off you are because it's something you cannot change about yourself. Where you come from, you can't change that. Who your parents are, you can't change that. So don't fight it. Embrace it and just sort of use that. Um, it's, it's been a great, great life lesson. There's, there's so many things that are so inspiring about that story you just told. And I, I one thing I'd love to say or mention is just, um, I, I know something I really struggled with, and I'm sure a lot of, a lot of actors do is, you know, when somebody tells you no once or twice or three times or tells you something isn't good, or, you know, to any writers that might be listening, tells you your script, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it doesn't mean that, that that's the final word, you know, and I, I love 
I love that. I mean, I don't love that they all said no to you, but I love that that they all said no to this show and that you kept going. I, mm-hmm. I think that's something that people rarely do. And it, I, I understand why they don't, you know, human nature is that, oh, it must, it must be terrible. You know, if these people, I think as actors, we're always looking for validation. So, um, but I also love uh, that, that you all created your own work that I, I forget how you started the story, but that, you know, the, 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 the uh, you know, the work wasn't coming. So you, so this was created. Yeah. And I, I just hope that people listening, um, really take that away also, you know, to, um, I think actors have such a hard time when they're first starting out, you know, the business is thrown at them so hard yeah. and, um, the, the business side of, of, of the entertainment business and that they have to focus on all the corporate stuff, you know, like getting agents and making themselves, you know, their brand and, you know, all that stuff. And, um, instead of just, um, you know, the, I, I guess a little bit of that is necessary, but, but also just, um, you know, embracing why you did this in the first place and, and the craft and creating something that, as you say, is, is truthful and authentic and is really showing who you are and where you come from. I, I just, I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Well, no, thank you for saying that. It's, yeah. And it, it is a, it's a lucky set of circumstances that because it really was at the beginning about creating work. Like mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's create work. Let's work. We got to work, got to eat. You know, we we want to do that. There was no grand sort of plan of, and this will sh- the show will become representative of the Asian community, and mm-hmm. we will bring enlightenment to all. It wasn't about any of that <laughs> at all, right? And it was just, and it wasn't until halfway through the our national tour that it suddenly said, you know, you realize we are actually making history. This is the first Asian Canadian show that's ever been on tour across Canada, and they teach the play now in high schools in Canada. And that's, that's trippy being part of that. it's like, yeah, my, my kids are learning about your play. <laughs> it's just like, oh Whoa, that's wow. Yeah, it's that weird. Is, it's awesome, but it's weird. That is so cool. <laughs> I mean, it's, you were telling the story. I started to, it made me want to cry because I mean, just talking about lack of representation and having you know as an actor it's already hard enough to be an actor and then when you find yourself not represented in what you're seeing and having to then go to this extra effort to even showcase yourself um it's it's such an inspiring thing to do and it's um and it's so necessary like you said now that to 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 be able to study this play in high schools is so important um i'd love to know as your t- I mean, because it is what's so cool about the story is it really is an actor's dream to be able mm-hmm. to uh, create a create a character like this to develop it together in like these basements to then bring it to the Fringe Festival to then go on this national tour to then have it translate into a TV show. Which I mean, I, I do think one of the beautiful aspects of the show is, like you said, um, the. It, it it's that ensemble quality of the show. It's the deep, it's the depth of the character work that exists in, in what you're watching that makes you just immediately get attracted to the characters. And, you know, we don't, we don't get that time with characters a lot as actors. So it's, it's really incredible. And what I want to know is, um, it's kind of a weird question, but what was the feeling like for you? as you guys were working on that show just at the beginning, did you feel like 
this is special? Or did it just feed you in this sort of different kind of creative way that was different, that, that you know, that it kind of gave you a different kind of energy to kind of keep pursuing what you were doing altogether. Yeah. It, it was both like on it, it. It was so, I mean, it was trippy because it was, you know, based on the play and I was really excited because a, I was getting new lines after performing the play, you know, close to 500 times over the years to finally get fresh lines and to go on new adventures with the same character was something I was very, very excited about. But I was also very mindful of the fact that we had no idea how the show was going to be uh, received by audiences. Was it going to translate to a TV audience, right? The play, we knew. TV audiences, it's a much broader range of, of demographics of people watching the show. Uh, this was the first ever uh, sitcom with an Asian, all-Asian lead cast in Canada, we didn't know how it was going to be uh, received. And so we always, I always pers- personally, I came into it with a sense of um, gratitude. It was one of these things where I wanted to make sure because I'd never been the lead on anything before. And I didn't know if I was ever going to be the lead again. So I wanted to make sure that this experience for me, that it was the best version of myself possible, that no one was going to wait for me. So I was going to be prepped to within an inch of my life for Mm. every day on set. No one was ever going to have to wait for me because I didn't do my homework and didn't know my lines. I was also going to make an effort because I've been on sets before where I, you know, my, you look at my resume, a lot of day player parts. And when you're a day player, it could be the friendliest set in the world, but you feel like the new kid in high school and everybody was nice, but not a lot of people have time for you. So I wanted to make our set the most welcoming set to mm. day players to actors if you're part of the cast you're part of that family and we're going to make an effort to spend time with you and make you feel comfortable uh that's something that i, I really really believed in and I, i'm very proud of the fact that i think we did that because the end result is as well you get when people are relaxed and feel comfortable and they feel like they're part of something like truly a part of something then you get the best performances from them as well and it's a it's a wonderful thing um and i've been on enough sets where it's just like you're by yourself. And so, you know, Andrew Fung and myself, we made it a, a, you know, our business basically to hang out with whoever was, was playing with us that day. And we would always get like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is weird. <laughs> I mean, why, why are you hanging out with me? It's like, this is what we do here. Right. And so like that sort of culture, but as well, it's like, I made sure I wanted to know everybody's name on set, everybody's name. And I memorized everybody's name and I made connection with everybody on the crew, in the administrative offices, from the PAs to the production manager, everybody in between. And it was really cool because, you know, the grip's too cool, too cool for school. It's like, what, what, you want to know my name? Why do you want to know my name? Who are you? And, but it was this wonderful thing. <laughs> At the end of the day, it was this ritual of mine. I would go through and I would say thank you to everybody oh, and great. shake their hand or give them a hug. And they turned into hugs. By the end of the first year, it was all hugs. And I knew everybody on that set. And it, it's such a simple thing. When you ask somebody their name and you remember it, uh, they, and you know, it's, it's one of these great things that I think uh, I really wanted to push. And I really wanted that sort of that, that atmosphere on set because I didn't know if I was ever going to be another lead again, but I wanted to be sure that if, if this was it, then I can look back at it really proud of the way I conducted myself, how the set was, how everybody was, and, and sort of go, I did that. We did this together and be proud of it. And that would be enough. So I, I went for by year by year 
not knowing, hey, what's going to happen, but always entering with that mindset of this might not ever happen again. So enjoy while you're here. And while you're enjoying it, make sure everybody else enjoys it too. Um, and it's work, but it doesn't mean work can't be fun or, or congenial, right? And, and I'm really proud of the professionalism on that set. The crews, I love. I'm still in contact with a lot of them. I love it when, you know, Toronto's a small film town. So when I bump into any of the old crew, it, it's, it makes, it's just such a wonderful feeling. So that's, that's the thing. And um, so, yeah, being very cognizant of that, but also the creative energy staying on top because the up on TV is much different from the up in the play. The up in the play, he's way older. He's, you know, he's running out the clock. He's very angry. The family is shattered. Uh, the up on TV, a lot gentler. He's, you know, he's younger. Uh, he's learning a lot more from his mistakes, you know. Uh, and so the, it's a different energy, but it's, it was like a, a fantastic challenge. And instead of a, you know, a sprint, it became a marathon. So I had to learn how to pace myself in terms of taking on too much work sometimes. Because first two, three season, it was like all, you know, let's go, let's go. All go, no quit. Let's, you know, and then I had to learn to slow down a little bit just for my own health sake. Mm. The, the, the gratitude that you brought to the set is the love that we were then privileged to receive watching mm. the show. And you really... You really feel that from that show. I mean, it's a. There are certain shows that are special beyond words, and um, and they bring love to the world. And I, and it. So hearing what you did behind the scene, <laughs> it makes me understand why I feel the way when I watch your show. Um, I love. I know we're we're getting so close to time, but I'd love to we, ask. We are at time. We're Camille. at time. I'm gonna. I'm just asking one more question. I, know, I, knew, I okay. knew you would. I, I, hey, just like full, full, full disclosure, I'm good. I'm, I'm <laughs> good to keep going. So. Thanks. I'm gonna. I'm gonna allow Camille one more question. <laughs> Thanks, and I appreciate that. I just wanted to hear um, one tip that you could give an actor. You talk about privilege. And it sounds like it's so coupled with gratitude when you mm -hmm. speak of it. I think mm -hmm. it's very easy to get off track of the gratitude of just the experience of being on set, especially with uncertainty, which we talk about a lot. Um, so I would love to hear one tip you could give an actor listening to this on how to be grateful when they are in moments of doubt, fear, and uncertainty. Yeah. yeah. First of all, those are completely valid feelings to have. We've all been there. We've all had our doubts. We've all had our fears. We've all questioned like, have, oh my God, have I made a horrible mistake, uh, you know, in terms of my choices in life? Um, I'm always the first one to say I was just too stupid and too stubborn to quit, which is why I'm still here. <laughs> um, that being said, when you do book a gig, when you're on set, take every opportunity you can to learn, to do, to observe. How, how do professionals conduct themselves? What can you learn from, from not only a performer's perspective, but from a technical's perspective? How the lighting's set up, where the cameras are placed. Little tips to sort of help yourself out in terms of knowing where to be and making yourself an asset on set instead of something that needs to be sort of like called along or, or, or dragged along to just sort of say, okay, you know, you, to, to be that self-sufficient professional. But the biggest 
biggest, 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 biggest piece of advice I can say, other than be prepared, do your homework, be, you know, be crafted, be kind, mm-hmm. be kind. Being on a set is a huge privilege. My opinion, it is. Yes, you've earned it. Yes, you auditioned for it. Yes, you belong there, but it's still a privilege. We tell stories for a living. And that is that that it sounds so ridiculously optimistic, but it is such a privilege to be able to do that and, you know, to make a living from it. But the biggest thing that will separate you from everybody else is kindness. People remember kindness. And that means kindness to yourself as well. If you make a mistake, if you flub a line or this or that, don't beat yourself up. Be kind to yourself, but be kind to others around you because you're all in this. It's a big being on a set. Everybody's job is to make you look good. Basically, if you, if you boil it right down, telling the story, their job is to help you tell that story in the best way you can. So be kind because, you know, that goes a lot further, I find, than, than anything else. Because you could be the most talented actor in the world, but if you're an asshole, you're not going to go as far as you could if you were talented and kind. And I think that's the biggest thing that I, I try to push for, for younger actors is, is the fact that, you know, you, it is a privilege to be up there. You've earned it, but, you know, the kindness matters. How you conduct yourself as a professional matters. Uh, and that, that has so many things in of itself, too. But that, that's the biggest word of advice I give everybody, uh, all the young actors who make it on set. Thank you. Thank you. Um. Kindness matters. I love that. Yeah. That's great. I uh, we always we always like to wrap up our podcast. I know you um, are a Canadian actor, but yeah. you've worked in LA and been to LA. And our we we talk a lot on our podcast about Los Angeles because um, many of our listeners are either coming to Los Angeles or live in Los Angeles. Uh, can you, in closing, share anything? You know, one one thing you've noticed about Los Angeles that's unique to LA. Everybody drives. <laughs> Nobody walks. True. It's the weirdest thing. Nobody walks. Anyway, it, it, that's what it seems to me. <laughs> I, I've looked at it. I'm going to go walk. I'm, I'll, I'll meet you at the Starbucks. It's five blocks away. I'll walk. So you're walking? <laughs> Are you okay? Do you want me to send a car? It's like, no, no, no. It's five blocks away. No, no, you don't understand. And then, you know, walking there, it's like walking around, looking around, you no one else is around. I'm the only one <laughs> on the sidewalk. And the sidewalks, if there are sidewalks. Yeah, right. <laughs> because one time, yeah, I was walking. Like, there's there's no sidewalk. It's literally a road, like yeah. a highway. How do I get there <laughs> without a car? <laughs> so that's the one thing I did notice about LA is everybody drive. It's so true. I think it might be the only big city that that is like that. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of any other city. You're so right. It's um, very true. Where nobody really walks anywhere. No, and then you get in the habit of driving. You're just like, I got to drive. What's walking? (laughs) So true. Thank you so much, Paul. This is such a real pleasure and honor to have you on the show. And we really, really appreciate you you being here with us. So So much. Thank you. That's very kind of you, Camille. Thank you, Jen. I had fun. This is fun. This is fun. I, I like to talk. So. And we like We're to live. Yeah. Hey guys, for all of you who are looking for professional guidance and hands-on mentoring for your acting career, join the Speak LA membership today.
To join or for more information about the membership, go to ispeakla.com. That's the letter I, speakla.com. This episode of Speak LA, the podcast was sponsored by Actors Connection. Actors Connection offers free resources, including valuable online programs. For more information, go to actorsconnection.com and sign up for their e-blast today. Our sound engineer is the very talented Dan Leonard of homevoiceoverstudio.com. My name is Jen Jostin. And I'm Camille thornton Austin, and we are the founders of Speak LA. You can find us at ispeakla.com. See you next time. Bye-bye.